You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, independent, listener-supported radio. I'm back, back in the New York Brian. Scott. Try not to fall down as we record this podcast today. <laughs> you know, okay. I know it seems unlikely. I know it doesn't, it, it would seem like there's really no reason for you to fall down in the middle of this podcast. Right. <laughs> but I don't know. It took me a second to, to get where you're going with that. <laughs> <laughs> just feels like that might be going around, you know? Right. Try not to just fall on my face for no apparent reason <laughs> just no reason at all i mean you know what are you getting at <laughs> well there was a notable moment in the giants game on thursday night i know it's been a longer time since we've usually we only have like a day in between watching a giants game and recording which i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing that we've had now five days to marinate on this game i think this has been good to let it simmer let it let the juices, uh, you know, the flavors really <laughs> come. <laughs> let the aromas brew. Uh, this is good. This, these are all these takes are going to be, you know, well formed. Um, yeah, like a spaghetti sauce that's, you know, properly had the proper time to sit. <laughs> yes, indeed. So I just I'm I'm a little worried because I don't know if you remember from Thursday night, but Daniel Jones was. Uh, a country mile away from just about anyone else on the field on either team and uh, just could not manage to stay on his feet. No, no, he couldn't. He was going so fast, Scott, though. He was running so, so, so fast. He was. I don't know if you know about that, but um, really, really fast. (laughs) (laughs) Faster than Tyreek Hill. He was moving. Yeah. You You know, know, look, I feel like we do it. This is where this is the only place we could start today is Daniel Jones falling down. (laughs) Uh, and i think it's it's because so far this season the giants have been terrible um as we both know and i think we've remarked a few times on this very show it's crossed my mind before (laughs) that the giants are not very good this year but so the only thing that you've kind of had going is one like evaluating judge and we have a new coach but it's really daniel jones it's like is daniel jones improving um and, and really it's been about can he find this like signature moment that makes you go okay hey, Daniel Jones is progressing, like he's got this thing, you know, and we've been waiting for it. He's had a few opportunities for it, and he finally got his signature ball. He He gave us one. And it's a terrible one. But I feel so – it's just awful because, like, that game came so close to being his signature moment, you know, like – the drive when they went down and took the 21-10 lead was the best drive of Giants football I've seen in maybe three years. Yep. Culminates with a beautiful ball to Sterling Shepard. They go up 21-10. You know, and that was post the the, yeah. fall, the falling down heard around the world. And to be fair, we did score a touchdown on the drive that he fell down. We did end up yes. scoring a touchdown. I acknowledge that. Yeah, yeah. But so, and then, he, you know, he throws the pass to Evan Ingram right on the money. It's going to win the game. If Evan Ingram hangs on to that ball, this is Dan- this is Daniel Jones's signature win against an Eagles team that I personally think is about to take over. Like the NFC East is terrible. I do think the, the Eagles are about to separate themselves from everybody else and and most likely run away with this division. And I think they're going to be an eight and eight team somewhere in there. Maybe they get to you know eight seven and one whatever because they have the tie. Um, so I don't think they're a garbage team. So this looked like it could, this could be a Daniel Jones, at least something, give you a little bit of positivity. And 
to have him give up the lead like that, and now there's just no other way that that game will be remembered other than him falling down <laughs> seemingly for no reason um, <laughs> on what otherwise was an 80-yard run in which he went very fast. Right. Let the record show he was going up to 21 miles per hour. <laughs> seemingly for no reason. <laughs> right. right. Just, yeah, it's like ease up. He's a, on, remind me of that Seinfeld bit about the horses and like, if at any point you should fall and break your leg, they're gonna <laughs> blow your brains out. Like, ease up, big fella. Like just ease it, in, ease it into the station, Daniel. <laughs> in all honesty, I sort of feel like it's a little bit Joe Buck's fault because it was really the the second Joe Buck said, and he is gone. He like uh, actually uh, said those words. And it was right when he said it is when it looked like it was the first inkling. Because Jones also ran about 20 yards where he thought, is he about to fall? And- no, he, he lost his balance, you could tell, about halfway through, where his body got a little – the upper body got a little out in front of his lower body. And you could – yeah, you were like, wait a minute. Is he falling? <laughs> Why would he be? Certainly he can't be. And then, and, oh, no, he is. Yeah. You know? And then, like, just their laughter, the cackling between him and Aikman just was torture, you know? I mean, Aikman who could, could blame them? Aikman could not contain himself. He was no, so he delighted. Like, right, he lost it. <laughs> and, I mean, the replays didn't help either because you see his face as he's running. There's definitely some recognition there where he's like, like, there's just a moment where you get on his face like, oh, no, come on, don't, just no. don't, don't do fall. <laughs> No, surely I'm not about to just fall for no reason. <laughs> but I do surely. I do blame Joe Buck at least a little bit. I mean, he he goes, and he is gone. And that's when the first, just the first misstep or stump, something happened. I don't and like he heard Joe Buck. <laughs> Jones heard him and was like, uh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what happened. I know it was I'm like. Fair Buck, he was gone. Yes, um, right. No, it was the I'm correct actually call. with you on Joe Buck, who has gotten, who has improved as a broadcaster, but I'm not really here for the whole reinvention, the the reconsideration of Joe Buck, in which now everybody loves him. Agreed. I still think he's a smug, uh, irritating presence, and though he's improved and he's more, uh, you know, enthusiastic, I still don't enjoy him myself. He's not not for me. Me either. At the the pendulum swung way too hard. Way too far. Where way. now it's like, oh. I, and also the people, uh, there's no acknowledgement that the pendulum swung. They're still like, I don't get all the Joe Buck haters. It's like, there's like right. two of us left. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I wouldn't even call myself like a hater. I get why people are like, he's not the worst. But I, for me, he's unpleasant. No, I absolutely agree. And it's just, it's too, is he, is he's, I mean, even with the improvement, is he so good that he's the number one guy on just about everything for Fox? The, you know, the, the main NFL game, the World Series, like he's everywhere. Yeah, he is. When he was doing the U.S. Open for golf, it was a nightmare. But I will say he's become a pretty damn good baseball announcer, like, in fairness. Um, thought he had a pretty great call that Game 4 World Series. Um, but anyway, let's let's get off Joe Buck. Yeah. Um, and let him figure out his hair plugs and whatever <laughs> else he's working on, which I shouldn't make jokes about because I'm also losing my hair and I know the struggle. Scott, I know what it's like to look in the mirror and see that hair dwindling away and there's nothing you can do about it and you've just figured, you know... Going bald is – I'll just – let's just – on this tangent for a second. Going bald is so terrible. You know how terrible it is that the thing – like Joe Buck had hair surgically placed in the front of his head and nearly died because he right. – That's so bad it was watching it go away. <laughs> like people sometimes, if, if that doesn't work, they'll just take hair 
and just stick it on their head and just walk outside. Right. You know, that's better. That's how much it stinks. Or whatever <laughs> it is Donald Trump does. Like, I know he didn't go bald. I know he, he went, like, he got scalped almost, right, in some right. sort of helicopter accident. But whatever that's, that, like, process. That's true. I've never heard that story. That's why his hair is all janked up. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it, it was some sort of helicopter accident he was involved in, and there it was a very unpleasant uh, unpleasant incident with Ivana Trump in the aftermath because he was so ab- like upset about the way he looked. I'm pretty sure I'm not making this up. How have I never heard this story? <laughs> <laughs> I'm nearly... Seriously, this is a fever dream you had about Donald Trump and the helicopter. <laughs> I'm almost positive it's true. It may if it's not true, I don't feel bad just because Donald Trump seemingly says anything he wants to say at any moment, whether it's true or not. Right. So I don't see why I now believe it wholeheartedly. I mean don't get me wrong. Yeah. I don't see why uh, I should be held to a different standard, but um Yeah. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. But either way, I I empathize with your struggle. I myself have thick lustrous hair. <laughs> but <laughs> but <laughs> Right, that seemingly gets better with age. It does. Like I don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't understand it, but you know. So I, right. I guess I don't understand the struggle of Joe Buck. So maybe I would. Maybe I would have. Uh, maybe I would be on the pendulum swinging if I had more appreciation. Maybe you might. You might have more empathy for him. Yeah. I get where he's coming from. Yeah. Uh, but back to my personal humiliation. Let's get back to the Giants, or away from my humiliation, back to our our favorite team's humiliation. Yeah. Um, I though I don't know. You know, like. We come on here every show and we just lay into the Giants. And, um, you know, I think it's appropriate. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to find the positives here. Um, I guess maybe I shouldn't. I, like, I, I don't know what – like, do you think that there is a version of the current construct of the Giants? Like, does, does, does it have to ex- blow up? in order to go forward like yeah like can there be a good Giants team that's gm'd by dave gettleman all right so let's uh, let's try and run through what are some of dave gettleman's successes what has he done well he's done something well he has to have done something well all right so <laughs> let's just say let's just tr- let's for now let's can't count daniel jones as ha- as him doing something well all right. right. Like, I'm going to give him Daniel Jones. Right. I think that's a totally defensible pick, especially now in the context of what we know about the other quarterbacks who have been drafted the last couple of years. Yeah. You have Sam Darnold struggling. You have Josh Rosen basically going to be out of the league. Drew Locke, terrible. Yeah. Um, Haskins, a lot of guys, Baker Mayfield, done. still struggling. Haskins, not doing anything. Like Daniel Jones, totally uh, defensible pick at this point. Yeah. And you know what? I was actually thinking, speaking of Baker Mayfield, I was thinking uh, recently, you know, he wasn't he was kind of a surprise pick at number 1 overall. And then all he had to do was finish that season, he finishes rookie year strong against a terrible schedule and people were like all aboard the Browns train. And then we picked Daniel Jones at 6 and people freak out. But I mean, he wasn't the first overall pick and you know, Baker still is a huge question mark. They you know, everything you hear about Cleveland is they're scheming around Baker. They're playing to his strengths, but he's very limited, you know. So I, I yeah, I'm willing to forgive Gettleman of of taking Jones 6th. So we can count Daniel Jones as the 6th overall pick. I will say everybody thought the defense was going to be terrible this year and they're the best unit on the team. Bradbury was a really good signing. Um 
you know, having all the having kind of this stable of safeties, particularly in the face of the injuries that we've experienced, the the secondary and the defense is essentially held up, and Gettleman has to get some credit for that, I suppose. Um, I think Blake Martinez was also a good yeah, signing. Yeah. I think Dexter Lawrence was a good draft pick. Fackrell, also, a, you know, a, a guy who's keeping us afloat right now. Right. At least on the defensive yeah. side of the ball. Um, I mean, I think then you look at his real disaster. Like, and also, I think one thing we have to take into consideration of what the Giants have been doing since Gettleman got here is I don't think there's any doubt that the Giants, in their heart of hearts, wanted to somehow find a way to send Eli off yeah. on a strong note. And we can talk about whether how ill-considered that was or whether they should have even thought about that at all. Like, personally, I find it commendable. I think it backfired terribly. But I think you have to take it into account when you look at the moves he made. Like, I don't think he signs Nate Solder, for instance, if the Giants, when he's hired, are like, we're rebuilding. You know? but right. And that, that move was terrible and has had ripple effects. But... Um, it's hard. You have to put that in the context of they desperately needed to fix that offensive line, and they were trying to do it to compete so that they could send Eli off with a playoff run. You know, they thought that was in there, and they were wrong about that. But you know, I do empathize with that struggle. Yes, and I agree. I I do empathize with them attempting to do that. But then it's also the way he tried to do it. Like, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I guess we could forgive him Solder when that was the plan. But also, if that was the plan, why are you shipping off Odell? Yeah, I mean, it still doesn't excuse a ton of moves, right? There's like right. Odell, they're signing Odell and then trading him away and eating like 20 million bucks to do it, which is just insanity. There's uh, Leonard Williams, obviously, when you're going nowhere. And by then, it's really clear you are rebuilding. There's like trading a pretty high pick to get Leonard Williams, who you could have just signed anyway if you wanted him so badly. Right. Um, there is, uh, um, well, I'm forgetting. I had a move that also didn't make, oh, there's letting, there's not trading Janoris Jenkins and then cutting him. Oh my God. Weeks after that, when you could have totally gotten something for him. Yep. Um, not trade, not trading Landon Collins and then letting him walk yep. like that stuff. And that's like, to me, the essence of a GM job, right? I mean, like anybody's going to have hits and misses as far as, you know, throwing the dart at players and. But those are really the, – that's the key skill set, right, is like those kind of decisions. And not only is he bad at it, it's like it's like a drunk just like there's no seemingly no sense of, of how to do any of this stuff. Yeah, no philosophy or no kind of like – or just also too seemingly an inability to recognize whether a guy is somebody that fits in with what you're trying to do while you have him on the team, which is kind of funny, right? Because that was the, that was sort of the excuse to get Leonard Williams. We want to get him in the building to evaluate him before he's a free agent, but you had Janoris Jenkins in the building and obviously decided you didn't want him and you got nothing for him. Same with Landon Collins and you had Odell in the building. You signed him to a huge extension and then traded him off. So, I, I mean, even that is very inconsistent and those are all disastrous moves. So, yeah, I, I mean, so getting back to your question, right, can we win with Dave Gettleman? I mean, I guess probably like our, you know, the conclusion that we drew about him that, you know, he's just throwing darts at a board and and, and coming up with these ideas. I guess it's like a dartboard thing, too. Like, could we be a good team with Gettleman as a GM? Maybe. 
Uh, I mean, if if everything kind of broke right, I suppose, but um, you know, probably not. Yeah, I mean, I guess my the counter I would make is like on the flip side, and and I think there's like a larger part where you, you like span out and you just think about the Giants organization too, and it's like the Maras at this point, you know, like they seem to always meddle at the wrong time. So you're just like, is the Giants organization as structured? Like, can it succeed anymore? And because really the NFL, like no one should be this bad for as long as we've now been bad. Like we're talking seven of eight years. We've been disastrously bad. Um, And the Giants seem to have lost their sense of when to step in, like the ownership, you know, like Jason Garrett's a perfect example where like, why would you pick that moment when you're seemingly headed in a decent direction? Yeah. But the flip side to that is that they have succeeded, right? Like we did, we had a stretch when with Eli Coughlin, where as up and down as it sometimes was, they won for 10 years, they won more than eight plus games every year and won two Super Bowls. Like that's as good a stretch as you can have as a fan in the league. And I do think that when they did put this stake in the ground that got Daniel Jones, we are going to rebuild. Like, the, the defense that we have seen this year there, you know, look, there are some young players there. I'm excited about, I think the guys they did sign are guys. We're going to be here for a few years. It's not, um, you know, it was right. Smart veterans that make some sense. You look at the offense, like it's, it's very contingent on how Daniel Jones keeps developing, but you know, I think I can, I can, I can point to our offense now and at least tell you what I think we need, right? Like we need Saquon back obviously, but we need some couple more receivers. Um, we need our offensive linemen who are now very much a question mark to keep developing. Um, but I can at least see, you know what I mean? Like I think we, we go into this off season where I feel like I know what the giants need to, to become a good team. Yeah. So then the question is, you could see what we need, but then, like, do I trust? Yeah. Dave Gettleman. Right. Yeah. And then I, I see because I think, and then you know I don't know maybe I'm jumping the gun on this conversation, but uh, you know after the Thursday night game we were texting a little bit talking about Daniel Jones and you know I guess my issue with him is I do think he's a good quarterback. I don't hate Daniel Jones, but I'm having a lot of trouble getting attached to him because I'm starting to get worried that he won't be good enough for us. Like, I just don't think that the giants have the infrastructure in place to put. So I was listening this morning to uh, Ryan Rosillo's podcast and, you know, they were talking about Brady and Belichick and how the Pats look so bad against the Niners this weekend. And Brady just looks awesome. Um, yeah. And how, you know, then Russillo kind of went through some of uh, Belichick, the GM's moves over the years and, you know, how he really didn't have weapons around Brady and how it's starting now to look like Brady covered up a lot of warts for the Pats over a long stretch of time. And uh, Russillo uh, referenced the conversation he was having with somebody in the NFL about where Russillo was defending the job that John Elway had done as GM. And, you know, he said, look, they went to two Super Bowls. They won one. What else do you want from the guy? And the the person he was talking to responded by saying, that's Peyton. That was Peyton Manning. Like, Peyton covered a lot of warts for you. He solved a lot of problems. He kind of established this thing. And there's really only a few guys in the league at any given time who do that for you. So you have, like, you know, right now it's probably Brady, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes. Um, and I just – Daniel Jones just isn't on that level where he's going to cover up the warts. And I think that, you know, for better or worse – 
Dave Gettleman's going to have a ton of warts. And so the Giants really have to, as an organization, tighten up the ship for us to have success with Daniel Jones. And it's not that I have an issue with Daniel Jones. I just don't trust the Giants to evolve the way they need to evolve fast enough for us to take advantage of Daniel Jones when we can. Right. I hear that. That's that's a good point. Like, he's not so good that he can cover up all the sins of our franchise. Yeah. Yeah. and we maybe need one of those guys. Um, and it looks like possibly a couple of those guys are available. Like I I'm still, I've still been with you that like, if this season goes so disastrously bad that we are like two and 14 or something, or we literally have the first or second pick in the draft. Like, I mean, I do assume at that point, Gettleman's out. And like, to me, whoever you bring in, you're the giants. You have to let say to them, like you're not Daniel Jones is not, you're not married to him. Like if, right. if you, if you don't like him, like you can, you can take a quarterback. They would have to give them that, um, uh, leeway. But I also don't, I do think that a new, even a new GM and let's say it's Trevor Lawrence. Maybe, maybe this isn't a conversation, um, because he's, you know, seems like such a can't miss. And, you know, I think fields is moving into that kind of conversation as well, though. I, I'm not quite there yet with him. But I don't think it would be. I don't. I don't think it's a certainty that even a new GM would come in and say, "I got to do that." Like I could definitely see somebody coming in. The Giants have the second pick. Like I think Daniel Jones is good enough that I would still be tempted to like trade out of that pick, get a king's ransom, and rebuild and be like Daniel Jones. I just. I do think he has the potential to be damn good. Like I just think, um, you know, he did fall on his face. But he was going very fast, all right, and 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 he is he's he has a big arm. He seems to have, um, you know, some poise and those types of things. And and even you know, he's made some really, you know, look, he's turning over like it's almost a joke at this point. I forget it's like thirty six turnovers in twenty games or some whatever it is, something like that. Yeah. Um, which is just insane, you know. It's just a, it's just a, but I I also don't feel like he's making the kinds of mistakes that I'm like like forcing it into coverage and getting picked off. It's always like, you know, he was trying to throw it away and he miscalculated how close the guy was to him and it ends up, it floats. You know what I mean? No, like I, I don't get that nervous when he's just back to pass that he's going to make a poor decision. Yeah, and it is, it's kind of what makes him such a unique player, right? Because I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't expect him to turn the ball over on a conventional play. I expect him to turn the ball over on a, like, just some bizarre, disastrous situation. You're like, how did we even get into that mess? Right. Yeah. Right, right. And usually it happens when everything otherwise seemingly is going great. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's his other knack. (laughs) Those plays always seem to go just as you're like, hey. I think we've got something right. here. And then it's like, what? <laughs> he doesn't see the guy and it's terrible. No, and I do agree with you just because I think that what the, the scenario that you just described, I would almost accept it because what a curveball it would be for the Giants to trade out of the second overall pick for a King's Ransom. Even that would be such a sign of a change in thinking within the organization that I would then just be okay that we, we kept Daniel Jones because I would just be like, oh, all right. You're not doing that if you don't have a plan of some right. sort. So even then, fine. But uh, so yeah, I I would take that if we traded out of it. That's but I again I don't see Gettleman doing that. I see the Giants doing that with a totally different GM. 
Right. And I ultimately, I mean, I think ultimately I, that's my hope is um, I hope he's not the GM after this year because I do think he's not the guy I would trust um, no. going through it. And, and, and his presence would just mean that the, the team has not quite figured out, you know, they haven't learned enough either so that uh, it wouldn't give me a lot of confidence in the go ahead plan. Yeah. Uh, let me do a quick ad read. <clears throat> And then we'll talk about the other person on the Giants whose mere presence is often very startling. You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, independent, listener-supported radio. Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open flat platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air. Support independent community media by pledging whatever you can. All contributions are tax-deductible to the fullest extent of the law. Please support with a monthly pledge to our one time or one time donation at radiofreebrooklyn.org slash donate. Jason Garrett, Brian. He's still here. <laughs> I just don't understand. I really think that the I think that the New York media, uh, of which I suppose we are now a part of, since we have our own radio show and podcast. You and I hey, are the, we're New the York, press. We're, yeah, we're the press. Yeah. We're journalists. Uh, yeah, right. But the New York media has lost its teeth entirely. I, I just don't understand. How is every question not about Jason Garrett to Joe Judge? Just right. what are you doing? Why does he still work for us? Are you becoming more involved in the offense? Why is the offense so bad? Like, yeah, yeah. What is happening? Right. What's happening with Andrew Thomas? Right. Why can't why are we not yeah, like what no, why is nobody developing? Why is everybody on offense worse this year than they were last year? Yeah, why? Why? Um, why is that? The and case? that goes and, and you go go to the big drop. Like Evan Ingram, seemingly is like part of the cell of Jason Garrett was like, oh, Jason Witten, like, um, and Evan Ingram has been when he has caught the ball is like, you know, his yards per catch is way down. You know, there's no yards after catch. Um, so the last, yeah, I don't know, the last two weeks, and for four times out of seven games this year. Daniel Jones has been the team's leading rusher. Right. You know, and three times this year, Daniel Jones has thrown for less than 200 yards. Yeah. Like most high school games have a passer that breaks 200 yards. Yeah. I mean, we're terrible on offense. Yeah. You know, I I hate just reaming coordinators because it's like obviously an NFL coordinator knows more offensive football than I do. But it is so hard to not just point the finger at the guy. Um I saw a pretty good article from Dan Duggan of The Athletic who's talking about how the Giants have kind of turned Jones into you know, more of a game manager. And he was sort of surmising that that they've been kind of freaked out about the turnovers. Um, and as a result, have been a little more conservative, you know. And he was just saying, like, he's just not built that way. Like, this guy, the way you want to use him is, like, big plays, you know. Like, he's right. capable of big plays. And you just got to live with the turnovers. And, you know, last year when he was at his best, I mean, he had – four or five games last year with over 300 yards and four plus touchdowns. Yep. Like this year, you haven't had a game that was like that. Um, that's true. And that's really smart. And, and again, it, I think it goes back to remember, I don't know how many weeks ago it was like, what is it? Two or three weeks ago when Jason Garrett said um, that we still haven't figured out what the team's strengths are. Like, yeah. Is it that, is it that you haven't figured it out or you just can't understand them? You know, like, right. do you not? Because I agree, that's very smart and true. Daniel Jones is more in the like I don't like to say gunslinger exactly, but he's in that mold. He's a cha- he takes yeah, risks, yeah. a big play guy, and it's just that like I feel like Jason Garrett just isn't isn't built to deal with a guy like that. Like that's just not Jason Garrett's style. 
Yeah, although he did coach Tony Romo, who was certainly like that forever, and they had that kind of, but they had more of that personnel, I guess. I don't know, like, I, I don't want to like, I don't know, I don't want to lay it all on his feet, but um, I am sick. I'm just sick of looking at Jason Garrett. I just hate that he's here, and I don't know. I, I like we've kind of got on. Feel like beat the horse on Jason Garrett, and he's. Uh, I don't know what I just don't know how they. You know, again, I think I said it once before. Like one of the biggest problems with him is like he's. He's too big a name that it's like a thing, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm sure Joe Judge is a tough, you know, it's like they brought him in to sort of make this job easier for Joe Judge. And it makes it so much harder for him because it's like he, he can't just, you know what I mean? If he had like kind of a no name coordinator and he wanted to like give it to his QB coach instead, like that's but this will be a big deal, you know? Yeah. Well, I just don't understand, too. This is and going back to it. I feel like the media has to do him a solid here. Help out right. Joe Judge. Ask about right. Jason Put Garrett pressure. every yeah. day so that yeah. like at least the at least Gettleman and the Maras will be seeing it and being like, man, the media is really after Jason like to give Judge a little cover so he can go to yeah. their office and be like, guys, can we you know, and also to the media get to the bottom of how he got hired because I think it's pretty right. obvious. It wasn't like Joe judge, just like you, like you've joked before, just admired him from afar. Something was going on with that. What yeah, was yeah. it? Well, the giants did say, I did read that the giants are, the coaches are going to be doing some self scouting over this little mini buy that we have. Oh yeah. So, so we'll see. I wonder what that means. <laughs> Hopefully he's just the first meeting. He's like, look, he's just looking at him like Jason. <laughs> Anything you'd like to say? <laughs> I don't know. Have we mentioned it on this? Uh, I don't know if we've mentioned it on, on our pod before. I'm sorry if we have. But there was there was a year where Brian and I were season ticket holders to the New York Knicks. It wasn't like real season tickets. It Well, you know, we just had like one game a month. And at the time, you know, we were in our 20s. So it was like basically half my salary I spent to get right. those tickets. And it's we're biggest splurge ever. Yeah, we're sitting up in the nosebleeds. And this is in the Eddie Curry era. And Isaiah Thomas was the coach. And so we were going to like a lot of Knicks games and they were really bad. And we used to say to each other that we thought that the best strategy for Isaiah was to come into the locker room at halftime, not say a word, and then beat either Eddie Curry or Channing Fry, I think, within an inch of their lives. <laughs> <laughs> just like fix I think it was jet. Jared Jeffries. Yes, Jared Jeffries. That's who it was. <laughs> right. Yeah, just go like Robert De Niro, like Joe Pesci on one of those guys. Right. And then just like <laughs> fix your jacket, walk out the locker room. And that's right. all you need to do at halftime. And I do feel like we're coming to that point in the Giants season where all Joe Judge has to do at halftime is walk into the room, pummel Jason Garrett nearly to death, right. and then just leave at halftime. <laughs> just finish it off with just like firing his headset at him. Yeah. And just like. Figure it out. The second <laughs> half better be better than the first. <laughs> I know. Uh, Something's got to give there. Oh, my God. I know. Like, on the offense, so maybe we'll finish with the Giants on this last. Uh, like, Andrew Thomas. I mean, what do we do? Uh, like, what do you think's going on? I don't know. You sent me that article by Ralph, uh, Ralph Facciano today about uh, uh, Paul Alexander, who is a very well-respected offensive line coach. He is uh, real active on the coaching clinic circles. You can see a ton of videos he's done. They're available on YouTube. And he seems like a good coach. And he said that he's, he's worked with Andrew Thomas before, and uh, he just can't understand what's going on. And he doesn't even recognize the techniques that he's using, which raises some red flags about Mark Colombo. 
Right. Or just the Giants. What are they doing? Like, I, I, he looks like a guy who's thinking out there, who's like yes. overloaded with stuff. And it's like, dude, just you're a good football player. Go out there and play. Like, that was one of the worst games I've seen an offensive tackle play for the Giants. And, you know, it's like it's almost always a bad game when you notice the offensive tackle. Yeah. Uh, at all, but that was like where you were like, my God, you know, I mean, and he just looks lost, like he's thinking. So, you know, it does feel like something's going on there aside from just he's bad and or he might just be bad. I don't know. Like, I, I still hold out hope that he, you know, I still find it so hard to believe that we could even, it's possible to misfire this badly on a on an offensive tackle. Like, those are usually, you can scout that position okay. Yeah. And he played in the uh, SEC. It's not even like he was somewhere obscure, and it's like, what was the talent he was up against? Right. I mean, he went against, and he's like a three-year starter, like started as a freshman in the SEC for a team in the mix, you know, played in a lot of big games, went against a lot of NFL players. Like, um, you know, he's, I said, I think I originally, the day he was drafted, as we've, we've made many food analogies for <laughs> Andrew Thomas but it was saying it was like a steakhouse meal, but I guess it was like the American steakhouse where you <laughs> the sizzler. It's more, yeah, right. It's more a buffet, <laughs> and you get there. You know, we, my brother when we were kids wanted to go to the sizzler more than anything in the world because <laughs> of the commercials. He was just like, Dad, can we, I want to go to the sizzler, and my brother loved steak more than anything. And my dad was always like, Tom, just trust me, like it's, I don't want to go there. I mean, we were like, no, we gotta go. And I'll never forget going there the first time and how much fun of Tom I made for like 10 years about just, I was like, it's like a buffet, you know, <laughs> this is nothing special. I would give anything to see your family seated at the Sizzler. All of you, just <laughs> the whole clan. Yeah. Oh, and I can't even tell you the anticipation for our meal at the Sizzler. And I was like, wait a minute, this isn't that great. <laughs> Who I like were any of your other siblings old enough to know what you were in for, or did all all four of you just go in there thinking it was going to be great? Oh, it's probably probably my oldest siblings probably had some sense, and they just didn't have the heart to to tell Tom. <laughs> <laughs> but he was adamant too. We got to go to the Sizzler. <laughs> well, it, so were the Giants. So was Dave Gettleman. He added. <laughs> he went to the Sizzler, and now we're all eating it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Right, he sold us on a steakhouse, and we get there, and it's Sizzler. It's Sizzler. And we're right. like, wait, what happened here? <laughs> and he's like, what? Speaking of Gettleman, let's just – one last thing about him. Is he going to make any trades, or you think we're just going to stand pat? I, I mean, look, I think Evan Ingram, I think it's possible he's traded. I think they're going to make a couple of moves. Um, I doubt it will be anything earth-shattering, but, you know, the names you've heard, I think it's possible. Golden Tate. Yeah. What about I heard Tomlinson? What would you think about that? Yeah, well, I guess that's the guy that they they expect we can get the most value for. At least, uh, yeah. you know, Dan Duggan he also wrote a piece about who the targets are and then what you know he sort of thought we could get. And Tomlinson he thinks we can get a third or fourth round pick for, and that's sort of the best we can do with anybody on our roster. He thinks, and uh, you know, I look, I think we have Dexter Lawrence and we have Leonard Williams, and uh, you know, we have our I, what's the package called where we only have one or two D linemen out there at the same time anyway. <laughs> I forget. Yeah, whatever. I right. It used to be the NASCAR or whatever. Yeah. Now it's like, yeah. Who cares? The Amoeba. The oh, Amoeba the Amoeba. Defense. That's right. The Amoeba yeah. defense. Like an Amoeba. <laughs> right. 
So, you know, we play the Amoeba. And then yet, too, today I saw some tweet somewhere where we were looking to pick up a, another defensive lineman from the Jets because we wanted more depth there. It's like, what? Okay. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. But anyway, you know, I, I guess, like, the case for having to make a trade even for a late-round pick is because we had to give up a third-rounder to get Leonard Williams. And, you know, we've lost a couple of picks there, so it would be nice to get a couple back. Um, but I don't know, like – I guess who cares? <laughs> I think who cares? But that's what they should be doing. Trade yeah. a few veterans for third or fourth round picks. and Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we'll take our swings. Great. Thanks, Gettleman. <laughs> All right. Let me, let me squeeze in another ad read here real quick. You're listening to Giants Among Men on Radio Free Brooklyn. Thanks for listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. Your support keeps us going. All right, so right now the odds to win the NFC East, the Eagles, uh, who you've already mentioned you think are, are primed for a resurgence, are minus 155. Dallas is plus 350. Washington is plus 400. And we are plus 1,300 to win the wow. NFC East. So we are 13 to 1 to win the NFC East. And Washington, the only team we've beaten, is 4 to 1 to win the NFC East. Huh. I guess because they beat the Cowboys and Kyle Allen sort of looked like what they hoped he would look like. It's kind of like, okay. and Yeah, I guess I so. mean, yeah. I think the Eagles are going to win it going away, personally. So are the Eagles – I think the Eagles are going to win it too. Who do you think or which team – is there any team that benefits from winning the division? The Eagles. So do you think they benefit from winning the division? So I guess, yeah. like, too, if you don't win the division – so, if, in other words, the second through fourth place teams are guaranteed a top ten draft pick. It's possible that all four of us could end up in the top five, I, I suppose. I mean, I, if I'm the Cowboys, like, like the Cowboys got to start thinking hard about, like, leaning into a tank, right? Because they yeah. could have, like, a um... – Tim Duncan kind of situation where Dak comes back and now you've added like a top three pick. Right. And, you know. But I'm saying, doesn't that apply to the Eagles as well? Like, couldn't the Eagles? I mean, they've had depth problems now two years in a row. Like, is it even worth it for them to win the division? I guess. I mean, they have a veteran team, veteran quarterback who's on a big contract. They want to win. Yeah. Like, for them, there's a lot of value getting in the playoffs, seeing what happens. They could win a playoff game, you know, like – I still think that's a smart coaching staff. Like, yeah, I agree with that. Do you think the um, Eagles are good enough to, if they, well, like, or you know, if they if they win the division, they get into the playoffs? Is it even possible for them to pull off a first round upset somehow? I do. I mean, I, I think so. Yeah. And I'm not that impressed with them, but they do seem to find weapons. You know, they found the receiver Fulgum, like Boston Scott. You know, Miles Sanders goes down, and the the guy comes in, and he's a little bit of a shifty back. Like they just seem to make it do with what they've got. Um, I mean, I know they look, they just barely beat us, but that's what happens in the NFL. That's how you, you know, that, that to me is an impressive win more than, um, you know, even though it's against the Giants who are a terrible team. Yeah. Yeah. I don't disagree with you. And I think Carson Wentz, I don't know. He he's, his stock is very low. I would not mind buying some Carson Wentz stock right now. Totally. I totally agree. Got off to a bad start. Like, they've lost a ton of weapons. I think he's plenty good. Yeah. I mean, he's such a lesson in how quickly we turn on these guys now. I mean, it's just like the way we evaluate quarterbacks has, like, gotten insanity. Yeah. You know? I mean, like, Josh Allen's great. Now he stinks. Like, everybody's looking for 
all fighting with each other about analytics versus scouting. Like, you know what I mean? Baker Mayfield, it's horrible. Now he's great. Darnold, I don't know. I don't know what to make it. And it's so hard to evaluate them. Yeah. Speaking you know? speaking of how quickly we turn on, guys, and maybe this will help us pivot onto a little bit of a Tampa Bay preview. How I was trying to think about this today. How many weeks ago was it that there were Brady memes all over Instagram holding up the four fingers because he they like didn't know what down it was or whatever? Like, was that two weeks? Yeah. I think it was two weeks ago. It might have been three weeks ago because I think they've won two in a row. Okay. Right, 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 but, right. And two big wins. They beat the Packers and then they beat yeah. uh, whoever they beat. Yeah. Impressive. The Raiders, impressively. Right. Um, but yeah, you're right. It looked like Brady's lost it. He's, yeah, he's told, he doesn't even know what down it is. Like, this is a disaster. I got to admit, I was totally, I thought Brady was going to look bad this year. And I thought the Bucks would go like eight and eight and seven and nine. And it would be like, we'd all have a fun laugh. <laughs> and instead it's the total opposite. And now they look like the best team in the NFC and Brady is just a god. I mean, that guy is unbelievable. He's unreal. He's unreal. This weekend, he was 33 of 45, 369 yards, four touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, there's just no, you know, there's no, the whole greatest of all time conversation has now, like, he has won. He won. <laughs> and there's no, I used to hold out, you know, I used to like to needle him. Like, like it's weird in the, when you really go over his whole career, like, how many years there are that he wasn't actually the best quarterback in the league that year, you know what I mean? Um, despite this, but when you just put it all together, the longevity, yeah, the winning, the like the handling pressure, where I think that's what separates him and Peyton, and then how physically gifted he really is. That even though he's not as physically gifted as some of these other guys, he gets he doesn't quite get the credit he deserves for how physically gifted he is. And then you think his body, just the way it's held up, it's just extraordinary, right? Yeah. Um, you know, one of my favorite games I ever saw in person, and you were there with me, but was when we went to the game when the Giants were trying to keep the Pats from going undefeated, and it was at Giant Stadium. Yep. And they were going for 16-0. Famously, the Giants tried to win, didn't have to, and Eli played awesome. And Brady, it was the most spectacular performance, and I've been to a lot of games, as you know, in that stadium. Um, the most incredible performance I've seen in person. And it was the physical gifts. It was yep. like the throw deep down the sideline of Moss that was just like with a guy right in his face, you know, just an absolute bullet. Um, and at the time, too, you know, you your family, you had seats that were, what was it, the sixth or the seventh row? Yes. Like those were amazing. Behind yeah. the 40-yard line, we were behind the Pats bench. And so we were so close to the field. And, yeah. I, you know, I that the way Brady was moving, and, and just like you're saying, right, he's not really known as a – he's not a runner. But his yeah. his seeing his pocket movement, and it seems like such a weird – but I'm just – I'm telling you, if you were sitting where we were sitting, you don't have to be a football geek to have looked at him and moving in the pocket with that Giants pass rush coming at him and just the way that he just moved out of pressure and effortlessly threw these just darts all over the field. Just dimes. Like, oh, my God. It was I unbelievable. I know exactly what you mean. I was felt the same way. I, I left being like, that's the greatest football player I've ever seen in my entire yeah, life. Yeah, that was incredible. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Also, just quickly, credit to us. Pretty responsible for that whole Giants run by attending that game. Pe You're right. People forget this, but a lot of uh, Pats fans were trying to – it was, it was uh, right around Christmas – and so it was a holiday break for a lot of people. You had a lot of Pats fans trying to buy tickets to see the 16-0 completed. 
Um, you and I were sharing an apartment together on the Lower East Side, and you were back at your family home in Connecticut for Christmas, and um, I just I was back in the apartment, but I didn't think we were going to go because I just figured you were just gone for the week or whatever. And you call me, I think, the day of the game, and you said, are we making a huge mistake by not going to this game? And I said, yes, we have <laughs> to go to this game. Yeah. So it was kind of last minute we decided to go, and – that game really sort of was the spark that lit the fire that led right to the Super Bowl. So yeah, that's actually my favorite game I ever saw in person, and it even includes Giants win. Yeah, the atmosphere there was on, f- oh. on fire, absolutely electric. Like it was so great. Yeah, it felt like the building was going to collapse when Plaxico caught that first deep ball from Eli. Yeah. That, oh, that was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So credit to everyone us. Everyone wanted that one. Right. You're welcome, everybody. You're welcome. For all the joy you experienced (laughs) that year. For our hardship of attending an incredible game. (laughs) With amazing seats. In amazing seats. (laughs) We sacrificed. We got up the energy to take a bus. (laughs) Speaking of giant Super Bowls, the the, the 2011 one, uh, I thought about this weekend because I remember Bradshaw trying to fall down, Ahmad Bradshaw trying to fall down before he scored at Eli's direction too, like, get down, get down. Yeah. Uh, do, what do you think? Do you believe Todd Gurley? Was he really trying to – Was he? did he intend to fall on that play or or you think he forgot? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I definitely think he – I don't know when he realized that he needed to fall, but he definitely, I do, he definitely attempted to fall short of the goal line. Um, whether he it all occurred to him like at the three yard line or not, um, yeah, poor poor Falcons, what a brutal way to <laughs> brutal. lose. <laughs> I felt bad for for because uh, you know I guess you uh, here's how I look at it is it's really hard to break out of a tackle and to have all that momentum you're using to kind of break free from that guy and then stop your momentum in the space that he had left. And I yeah. I guess the the counter to that is why didn't just let the guy tackle you? Because you didn't have to break that tackle. You still gained yards. Just go right. down when you're in that guy's arms. Right. But then the counter to that, I'm just having this whole discussion by myself, but <laughs> but but it's like I guess like how how hard do you think it is for an NFL running back to think to yourself, don't break this tackle. Yeah, really hard. It's like 30 years of instinct kicking in. Like, yeah, he's just going to do it. He definitely tried to go down. I don't know. I hate when that happens because it's like, it's just such an annoying thing. Like, obviously, it's the right play to stop short, and then you just kick the field goal and you win. But it's just like, I hate that the I, that scoring a touchdown backfires for you. You know, it's like you just want, like, you go to your defense and be like, please don't make me look like a a complete schmuck in this game like please just get this done like i just hate that does it make football a better game or a worse game that things like that make such a big difference whether it's not scoring or you know taking a safety on a punt instead of actually punting the ball or you know is that like enhanced football or does that just make it like what i think it enhances it right it's just more strategic yeah, it's why people love to scream about it. There's so many things that you can question. <laughs> right. I do think one one thing about football too. There's like, I do think those types of things get so much more attention because it's the only thing that laymen can understand. Yeah. Like people freak out about timeout usage and you know clocking it and time like time management. I believe one, it is crucial and critical, but 
it gets so much extra play on things like Twitter or whatever, because the only part of the game that any of us can understand or know what, you know, like is actually going on. So that's the thing we all harp on, you know? Yeah. Right. Cause I don't know what the play call was on the, the interception and what the defense was doing. And yeah, but I know that, you know, Joe judge should have gone for fourth down on the 30 yard line because, you know, Right, because I can make a, I can make a case. Yeah, and the fourth down bot on Twitter said that you know. <laughs> right, right. So I know for sure he's wrong. <laughs> uh, so do we need to even preview the Tampa Bay game, or is it just? I mean, my goodness, you know. Well, I do in this sense, and like I'll say this: the Giants have done a lot of. Um, we've had a lot of. Uh, what's the word? What's the word for a victory that is symbolic victory? Moral or... victories? Moral victories, yes. <laughs> Sorry, that's escaping me. <laughs> I was going to say a Pyrrhic victory, but that's not right at all. Um, a lot of moral victories this year. And, I, you know, I feel like we've debated over whether they actually any of them actually were. And, I, and the more the distance that I get from all of them, there's none that really now stand out to me as really actually being that. But this one, the Giants would show me something. If they could hang with this team, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like if we if we left this game and this wasn't a, this was a competitive ball game, I would take something out of that. And I'm looking for it. I admit, like as a fan, I'm looking. I want something. <laughs> and uh, you know, we can debate whether that's a worthless, even a worthwhile exercise. Like you talked about us back in the day going to Knicks games and how much effort I wasted into Isaiah Thomas and Eddie Curry and hoping that that was going to turn into something. And, and that was a pointless use of my life. <laughs> breath I spent defending Eddie Curry was a wasted breath that could have been put to better use. But I will say that this game, I feel like they could, this is an opportunity for this Giants team franchise to, you know, you've been hearing this like, Hey, don't sleep on the Giants. The Giants are becoming a tough out. Like, you know what? Go show me something. Be competitive with this team. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, uh, also coming off a mini buy, and they are going. I mean, the the Bucks are, are number one in Football Outsiders DVOA. Uh, they're definitely the hottest team in football right now. So, I mean, yeah, uh, playing well against them, particularly this defense. If if Daniel yes. Jones – Give me a good performance against this Bucks team. Yeah. And I will come back here and I will tip my imaginary cap. Yeah. To the – I got to I got to admit I feel a little fired up. <laughs> I feel... Right, that's something on the line this week. Yeah. You know what? We're not getting back in the NFC East. We're not winning right. the stupid division. Ultimately, every victory harms us probably in the long run, but I do think right. that you want to sell anybody on the idea that something is being built with the Giants and you want to separate yourself from the Jets where we know nothing is being built yeah. and everything is merely crashing. Play well this week. Yeah. Play well. And that's it. Just play well. well. Don't fall down unprovoked. Right. Don't turn the ball over in insane fashion. Yeah. Don't drop a pass that could seal it. Just play well. You don't have to win. Just play well. Yeah. yeah. Defensively, you don't have to shut them down. Yeah. But just work for it a little bit. Make them sweat. Make them say, like, that wasn't the easiest defense we've played this year. That wasn't the – we didn't score with the ease that we usually do. Like, just give me a good performance. Yeah, make Tom Brady yell at somebody. 
Right, that would be great. Yeah, that's right. I, I, would, I could go to bed happy. As a matter of fact, if, right. if Tom Brady yells at someone even in the first quarter, I might turn the game off. Like, right. <laughs> we did it. Right. I'm going to go to bed now. He looks unhappy, so I am happy. <laughs> All right, that's good. That gives me some good vibes going into the weekend. Also, big, big, uh, big game this weekend on Saturday, although not quite as big. Ohio State taking on Penn State already yes. in this young Big Ted season. Did you see the ending of the Penn State-Indiana game? Yes. Well, no. I mean, I just saw the like photo of the guy reaching the ball for the two-point conversion. Yeah. Uh, that made me miss fans more than anything. Oh, yeah. College sports yeah. really seems like pointless to do without fans. For sure. That's the most pointless thing to do without fans. Yeah. Right, because none of these guys are earning any money out there either. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> well, right, yeah. No, of course, beyond, but beyond even the obvious reasons, like that game should have been in front of a packed house. The people should have yeah. charged the field. You know, there should have been lots of people in, what is it, Bloomfield? Where in Indiana? Yes. Bloomfield, yeah. Indiana. Pandemonium should have been. Sitting. There should have been so much sex happening on that campus yeah. that night. People should have been making out and oh. – it should have been awesome and it's just right. what happened nothing yeah yeah you know there was no one there yeah in arguably like, college sports without fans is weird as hell weird really weird i mean you know i'll say too like i don't again i i can never really speak to as, as a high school football coach i can't speak to the nfl or division one college but it's funny like in the high school that i've coached at we've had some games where there are a lot of people there for a high school game and then also a lot of games where, like, no one's there. You right. know, like, you have, like, a dozen people there. And I'll, I'll say in my personal experience, or at least in my opinion, during the actual game, you notice when there's a lot of people there, you notice it. But when no one is there, you're not really thinking about it, like, right. at all. You're not like, where's the crowd on that nice play? You're just focused on the game. Right, Yeah. So I don't really know how it, it, it plays out for the players, but I, just from the viewer's perspective, it just makes me sad to see nobody at college football games. Yeah, no, you're right. I know. It's just, you know, then you start, it's like what, what we're missing, what we're losing, what we're all losing out on so much stuff. People are missing weddings and yeah. fun and college. Just, I do feel for all college kids. Like this was a nightmare to have this happen when you're in college. Like it's four years of your life. Yeah. It only comes once and it's memorable and fun and like to have it interrupted with this is like brutal. It's awful. It's really awful. So speaking of Brian, uh, it's Tuesday as we record this episode. Uh, we air on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, and by the way, if you'd like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please consider downloading our free mobile app for iPhone and Android available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. But anyway, we'll air 6 a.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. You can listen to us on the app. And then we're available for download uh, on Saturdays. But it's Tuesday now. What will happen between now when we record this and when our fans get to hear us? I don't know. But one thing I am going to point out is that next week we're going to be recording on Election Day. That's right. And we won't know the outcome. <laughs> i know crazy and that's gonna be super weird yeah um i'll tell you i don't know what's gonna happen the rest of this week i'm certainly grateful that um there's no more debates that i have to <laughs> avoid watching um i guess the dodgers i think are gonna win the world series i hope mm -hmm. 
I was happy. I, I criticized Clayton Kershaw last week a little, mild, mildly, and I was happy for him. He pitched well in Game 5. Um, I, I don't like the Rays. I don't like their faces and the way they approach their business. Their manager, I don't like any of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't like this whole idea that we're going to spend as little money as possible and still win because we <laughs> are the best at math. It's like, screw you. <laughs> <laughs> we're the best at uh, math. What an what a, uh, admirable, uh, great, wonderful. Congratulations. Um, so I don't know. What are your predictions? You got anything? Well, I think that, that a poll will come out from a semi-credible source, you know, not like Rasmussen or something. A semi-credible source will come out with a poll that shows that uh, Trump cut into Biden's lead like a little bit Some somewhere. And then uh, the establishment Democrats will urge Joe Biden to drop out of the race just so that they don't upset moderate voters by making them vote. <laughs> <laughs> ending the election right there. Uh, because that seems to be what establishment Democrats do, is that anytime yeah. any adversity is on the table, they just say, you know what? Forget it. Yeah, they do roll over. I, I mean, look, I like, I do understand the fear there. Like, the fear right now of just like what, like any political move, right? Yeah. Just, I just don't want to, just don't want to do anything. Like this whole stimulus they're negotiating. On the one hand, Pelosi, like she absolutely should get something out there. People need this help. Like she should agree to a deal. On the other hand, like don't agree to a deal and give them a big win right before people are voting. Like I don't know. You know, I really don't know. Like the Supreme Court thing, we should have maybe we should have raised hell and done something to block it. But like I don't know, would people not like that? Like I, I do get that existential dread right now where it's just like, I have this man, I have to get him out of my life. Like my mind, my brain, like I just, I need to go back to the blissful time when you're like, Donald Trump said something, what? Or right. like gave a speech, like who gives a shit? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think one thing they should do though is like, go ahead and do whatever. Because right, the thing the Democrats do might piss people off. But then it'll become a big news story, and Donald Trump cannot stay out of a big news story. So he'll True. jump in with both feet, and he could end up falling Daniel Jones style without anyone being anywhere near him. Right. <laughs> right. Well, but also, isn't Joe Biden essentially doing the opposite of Daniel Jones? He's throttling it back. He's trying. He's right. just trying to not fall down for no good reason. Right. Like he doesn't. He doesn't need to be running. He doesn't go. You don't need to go 21 miles an hour, Joe. Like you just ease up, just coast into that end zone, and then we'll spike the ball, and then we'll figure out what to do on the next play. Right, run That's where we are. Right. All right. Well, Brian. On that note, I think uh, I think I'm I'm leaving feeling with good vibes. I feel like you know what a big week too. Monday, Monday night football, and then election night Tuesday. So I guess. Keep a hot pot of coffee on all the time. All right. This was a good one, Scott. Yep. Thanks, Brian.